Well, good afternoon. What's up with you? You're down there. Hey, you're down there. So we're in our uh, second week of our new series, Stranger Things. Who are, who are my Stranger Things people here? Let me see some hands. Come on. I know. So just for the record, this is right on the verge of what I can tolerate if I'm going to go to bed by myself. As a 49-year-old man, I'm like, I need some, I'm going like, to I'm I'm cut all the lights on in the upstairs. And so I'm just, can you turn me down just a little bit? The, um, so when, 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 when I watch something like that, right, it's, I'm that guy. And so I'm just, I, this is just a little bit of a disclaimer. So if, if you get creeped out, but this is not the show for you. You can still enjoy the series, but if you, if you, if you like stuff that's a little bit on the edgy side, then, uh, then you should check this out and uh, join the binge-watching community with the rest of us, right? So uh, it's, it's, I, I love this because of what we're, we're talking about tonight and what we're talking about in the series because we're, we're, we're digging into 1 Corinthians 12 pretty deep uh, last week and this week. And my, my opening text uh, for tonight was out of Daniel chapter 2. And so during the worship practice, when Tara, they were walking through all the slides you know, to make sure that they look okay, I saw the opening text of my sermon on the screen, but it wasn't a slide that I had submitted. And so I almost went up and said, hey, I'm not using that slide. I just want this one to be up there. But then I realized this was Tara's slide, and we had not talked about what my opening text was going to be. And yet the verse that she picked, 66 books in the Bible, right? And the opening text that God gives to her for the worship set is the opening text that God had given to me for the sermon. And how great is that that it happens on the night when we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, about how the Holy Spirit uses us in prophetic moments and with words of knowledge. And so I told Tara, Tara, you are my living illustration, right, for my sermon tonight. Actually, I told her, I said, why don't you preach and I'll sing? And of course, all the laughter, you know that I would not have been able to fill my part of the bargain. So she would have been great, but the worship set would have not gone well. i assure you. So just a little bit of recap, not too much in case you weren't here last week, but you can get it on the podcast if you were not. But one of the biggest summer hits was Stranger Things. It's one of the biggest hits of the summer. There's 165,000 user reviews of this show on IMDb, Internet Movie Database, and the average review out of 10, right, is 9.1, which is absolutely unheard of. It does not happen. And so not only is it popular, but everybody that's watching it is really enjoying it. Because this show, this is why, reminds us that just because something is strange doesn't mean that it can't be real. If we're not careful, we will live our Christian lives reading things in this book that seem odd to us, and maybe we'll get to a place where we'll say, I can believe that it was real for them, but I don't think I can buy into the possibility that God wants to do that in my life or to use me in such supernatural ways. And what we would say as a church to you is that God is just as supernatural today as he was when the Bible was written. And he wants to use us in ways that may seem strange to us and may seem strange to other people, but he wants us to get to a place where it becomes our familiar. This series is going to be about exploring some strange things in the Bible that I believe God wants to be our reality. They may seem like they belong in an upside-down world, but God hopes that they will grow, that we will grow to both expect them and embrace them. 
All right, 1 Corinthians 12. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. So, so last week, we did this idea of a strange voice, that when you become a part of a church community, it can feel strange to you that God wants you to let other people speak into your life. We looked in the book of James and talked about that verse where it says we look into the Word of God, it's a mirror for us, and we see what we, our lives are in relation to God's Word, and we're not supposed to walk away and forget what we saw. Now, because most of us do walk away and forget what we saw because we're selfish to the core, right? We all are. We need people that are willing to come and, 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 and grab us by the arm gently and say, hey, I think you forgot what you saw. And sometimes they say, and I think you didn't see this, and let me add this to it. We, there has to be people that we trust to challenge us and to speak into our lives. And if you've never been a part of a community of people that are that vulnerable to each other, it feels strange. It feels strange to let people speak into your life. So we covered that at length last week. We talked last week that one of the reasons why people misunderstand 1 Corinthians 12 is they miss in verses 4 through 6 that Paul gives us an outline for the entire rest of the chapter. And the way he breaks it down is that he says that they're going to be, if you look in the New King James, they get it the best, I think. There are a variety of gifts there are a variety of ministries, and there are a variety of activities. Now, verses 7 through 11 are the variety of gifts, and the emphasis there is on the Holy Spirit. We covered one of them last week. We're going to do the rest of them tonight. And then he talks about a variety of ministries, and that's verses 12 through 27. If you've got your Bible, you can just mark that out as a group, as a category, a variety of ministries, and the emphasis there is on Jesus. I think we're going to get through all of that tonight. And then the last is a variety of activities. I don't think we're going to get there in this series, so I'm going to blog on that this week. And so if you're interested in the last part of verse 12 and what in the world Paul's talking about that in verses 28 and 30, then you can get to my blog through the church website. And then next weekend, I'm going to be in uh, Williamsburg. Pastor Justin, come on, is going to be preaching here for the first time since he launched the Suffolk campus. So we're excited about him coming back. And then Jamie's going to be in Suffolk for the first time. And then on the 8th of October, I'm going to be back here finishing up this series, Stranger things that I'm going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in spiritual language. And if you have any interest in what that's about, or if you know people that have an interest in what that's about, then you want to be here on the 8th. And that's going to wrap up our series on Stranger Things. So let's talk more about a strange expectation. God wants you to have an expectation that you are a candidate to be used by him for the supernatural. Because the spirit of God that lives inside of you is the same spirit that lived inside of these people 2,000 years ago, and God wants to manifest himself to the world. That's why oftentimes these are called the nine manifestational gifts. These are ways that God chooses to reveal himself to the world in a supernatural, undeniable way. Last week we talked about word of knowledge, and so I want to pick up with word of wisdom, word of wisdom. So let's read verses 7 through 11, and then you can hear this list together. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit, and still 
another person to give the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another, he gives the ability to interpret what is being said. Now, the context of the chapter is this. He's not giving that gift to you, and that becomes what defines you for the rest of your life as the body of Christ. It can be, it can be, if this mention is somewhere else in Scripture that is within that context, which we're going to get to that in my blog this week, but not tonight. What these are, what these are, is God chooses you in a moment where he wants to reveal himself in a powerful way. And you are a candidate. So when it says one person, he's talking about you. In any situation, God could say, I'm going to choose you to do this in that moment because you're my child who's present in front of this need and I want to reveal myself through you. So when you read this, don't read it. Don't read it like this idea that I hope he gives that one to someone else and not me, right? You want to read it with a expectation of God, if ever I'm in a situation where you would choose to use me in this way, find me willing and find me able because of the Spirit of God who is inside of me. Now, word of wisdom or this gift of wisdom, this is the ability to give advice or counsel to someone that exceeds your training. And many of you have experienced this and you didn't even know that God was using you in a supernatural way. And in fact, you might have walked away from the conversation going, I did pretty good with that, right? With that answer I gave. Right? You find yourself in a circumstance, in a situation where a friend's talking to you about a, uh, something that's complicated or, or, or maybe this... Uh, a circumstance that they're, they're dealing with at work or in their family or in their marriage, and then all of a sudden you just, you see with such overwhelming and amazing clarity the answer that this person needs. And then you share it, and this person's like, wow, that's exactly what I needed to hear. You've not been trained in it. You, you've not read books on it. Not that that's a bad thing. That can be a good thing too. But we're talking about in the moment where God uses you supernaturally to give counsel and advice to someone that's beyond your training. It's supernatural. It's called a word of wisdom or a gift of wisdom. Now, Paul talks about discerning spirits. Let me read this to you. It's recognizing both when and what may be motivating a person. Spirit here in this chapter, in these verses, is referring to the immaterial part of who we are. So Paul's talking about both our soul and our spirit. As you're reading through the New Testament, sometimes soul means just this natural part of who you are, your mind, your will, and your emotions. But sometimes the word soul is used to talk about both soul and spirit. Sometimes spirit is just talking about this part of you that gives you a capacity to have a relationship with God. But sometimes spirit also means Means soul and spirit. It can be confusing, and the context is our answer. Here, it's referring to both. The complete New Testament word study gives us a great metaphor. Soul is my horizontal window enabling me to engage in a natural world, and my spirit is my vertical window enabling me to engage in the spirit realm. So discerning of spirits is this idea that you have supernatural insight into what's motivating a person in a given situation. 
Now, this is important for you as part of a Christian community or just being in the world in general, that, that it doesn't necessarily have to be that there's something demonic or evil that's motivating that person, although that's a possibility and that's another sermon for another time. Sometimes it can be that there's a hidden motive or a hidden intention. There could be a selfish motive that this person has and God gives you insight to that, right? It's, just, it's this feeling that you have that you can't quite put your finger on why, but God's giving you insight into a motivation that's not been revealed to you so that you know how to properly respond to that person and that circumstance and that situation. I would say my wife, Vanessa, that God uses her many times, many times uh, for this, this, just this intuitive sense that she brings to moments. Now, she has women's intuition. Like, how many of you believe that women's intuition is real? If you're a husband and your hand's not up right now, you were in so much trouble. Just saying. I know, I see some, right? I, I'm just saying, right? It's real. But we're not talking about natural intuition. We're talking about supernatural intuition, right? Some of these, there is a measure of reality in them and our natural ability, we're talking about that being exceeded to the point of being supernatural. So many of you have brought wisdom to a moment, but it's because of your training and your life experience. A gift of wisdom, right, is supernatural. It's beyond your life experience. Many of you have had moments of intuition because of your life experience, but when you are able to discern something that exceeds the life experience and the training that you have, it's called discerning of spirits. See, a lot of times people think that these gifts are supposed to be like a, a, a Harry Potter moment. Can we just use that for a minute? Like there's supposed to be this dramatic, magical, otherworldly, wizardry thing that, 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 that's, that causes everyone to say, wow, that's powerful. It can be that, and we're going to get to them, some of those in a moment, but it doesn't have to be that. There can be a subtlety to the supernatural. And if you're not open to the subtle moments, then I think sometimes that we disqualify ourselves to be the candidate for the bigger moments because I think oftentimes one of the reasons why we don't like to be used in the subtle ways is because there's not glory for us. And I think sometimes God tests us to be willing to be used in supernatural ways that sometimes people outside of it might not even recognize as supernatural because he's testing our character to see if we're ready for the glory that we can never keep for ourselves but to pass on to Christ. There are three gifts that reveal the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. The next group of three are the three gifts that declare. The three gifts that declare. The first one is prophecy, and this is simply the idea of speaking on behalf of God. So I would say that you've already witnessed two prophetic moments in our service today. That when Tara began to talk about this verse out of Daniel, that that's a prophetic moment, that God gave her something to give to you. And then on top of that, there was a word of knowledge that was mixed into it because the text that she used, she didn't know was going to be part of the text that I had. And then when Shanika came up in the middle of the worship set to share something, right? You, in those moments, you feel it, right? There's this some sense inside of you. God is speaking to us. Those are prophetic moments. We like to say here at City Life, we believe in all the power without the pageantry. There doesn't have to be a lot of extravagant use of language and demonstrative uh, 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 body expressions that, that I've grown up in the Pentecostal church my whole life. And, and I, let's just say there's a lot that came along with that that distracted people from what God really wanted to do. We believe in the supernatural nature of God. 
and that he wants you to move in supernatural ways. But it does not have to be accompanied by a lot of pageantry that draws attention to yourself. The only attention that should be drawn should be drawn to the Holy Spirit that brings glory to the Father and to the Son. And we are supposed to be people that are willing to be instruments for that. So prophetic moments. The prophetic moments happen in every one of our services. Oftentimes they're subtle, and then oftentimes they're more obvious. They're unscripted moments that happen so many times in our services that are just prophetic moments. This is why for all of our campuses, we'll always have live worship and always have live teaching at every one of our campuses because we want those campuses to have the freedom to flow with the move of the Holy Spirit in the moment. Tongues and interpretation of tongues, what Paul's talking about here. Tongues is, is, is speaking in, on behalf of God in a language that's not known to you. It could be an earthly language or a heavenly language. This is one of my favorite all-time stories. I'm going to share it with you tonight. On April 5th of 1991, our battalion, I'm reading this as an article. This is not my personal story. Our battalion was set up in a typical base camp defensive position to continue to protect a certain sector of ground in southern Iraq that had several major oil fields. Bedouins passed by our camp several times looking for food, clothing, and medical attention. There was a communications barrier with the Iraqis because we had no interpreter in our unit, and this was a problem every time we were confronted with a humanitarian situation. About noon in the blistering sun came an old Iraqi Bedouin on a camel with a five-year-old child. Many soldiers crowded around him trying to get a ride on his camel in exchange for cigarettes and pens or whatever else they thought that he would be willing to accept. The old gentleman started making gestures with his hands and speaking Iraqi. He was, he was offered many things, but they were not what he wanted. The frustration on the old man's face became intense. He even began to draw in the sand in what he wanted, what he wanted but to no avail. The situation seemed hopeless. I began to lose interest and walk away, and I asked the Lord, Father, I just pray that somehow you would meet this man's needs today, as obviously we cannot. That's a great prayer, isn't it? Because what he didn't realize by praying that prayer, what he was saying is, God, if you can use me, I'm here. So I walked back to his to my command track, but before I got inside, I felt the presence of the Lord so strongly, I stopped where I was. God, what are you doing? He sensed the Holy Spirit moving. The Spirit spoke to my heart and said, you do it. Turn around and go back to him. I frowned and said, Lord, everyone looks so silly over there and nobody made any sense. I I probably won't either. Clearly without and with authority, the Spirit said, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. It's good, isn't it? I turned around and headed straight for the crowd. Don't you love that? That kind of courage. They were still making hand signals and drawings and I cut through the crowd. I knelt down in front of him and I looked at him and I intended to say, I know you don't understand me, but English never came out. What came out was Iraqi and I almost passed out. (laughs) He looked at me intently and we began to converse in Iraqi. He smiled at me and held one of my hands. My mouth was speaking Iraqi, but my mind was asking, what is it that you need? I need milk. I understood perfectly. In Iraqi, I spoke back to him that we had more than we needed and motioned for one of the soldiers to get one of the cases of milk stacked up against the track. The man smiled. I wasn't sure just what 
to do each time after I spoke to him in Iraqi. I showed him how to use the straw. I gave him as much as he could carry and bid him a safe farewell. Several soldiers came up to me and said, Hey, Sarge, I didn't know you spoke Iraqi. And he said, I don't. (laughs) What you have just witnessed was the power of the Holy Spirit to fill a man's needs. Many soldiers wanted me to go to the tactical operation center and to become an interpreter for the unit. Right? No, this was for a specific reason and a specific time, I said. I don't speak Iraqi. I never did in the past, and I probably never will in the future, but God does. I had almost rebelled against the Holy Spirit's prompting. What a blessing I would have missed in seeing the Holy Spirit break through one of the hardest areas of war, communication. That is so good, isn't it? You know where that's not? It's not in Acts chapter 5. It's in our world, chapter now. Because God is the same. And what he's looking for are people like you find in the book of Acts, people like you find in this sergeant in the military who was a willing vessel. Even if we, like him, are initially reluctant, expect that because your humanity always resists the things that are strange and unfamiliar. But that's why God has given us a will to speak to ourselves, to find the courage to go back into the crowd and to be used by God in what might seem strange to you and seem strange to other people, but in a supernatural way that reveals God to the world. The interpretation of tongues is interpreting the above without ever having been trained in that language. It's not necessarily an exact translation. Like translation is word for word. This is what that word is. Interpretation is, is communicating the intent and the will and the motion that goes along with it. So if you've ever been in a setting or a service where somebody maybe has something prophetic that they share and it's in a language that you don't recognize and maybe it's angelic in nature, and then somebody else brings an interpretation. It's not intended to be a word-for-word translation. It's an interpretation. It means that, that in hearing that person, now God has revealed to me what God is trying to say to the room. We're going to talk about that at great length when we get into the sermon in two weeks on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spiritual language. These last three are the gifts that I like to call, these are gifts that command. So you have three gifts that reveal, you have three gifts that declare, and you have three gifts that command. One is a gift of faith, and this is the ability to believe for something that doesn't seem possible. It's that maybe you faced a circumstance or a situation in your own life, or maybe somebody else is telling you about a tragic circumstance in their life, and it just seems that there's no hope. And then all of a sudden, you feel something rising up inside of you that becomes a gift of faith that gives you the sense of confidence that God is going to overcome in that situation. And it begins to fuel your prayer. It begins to fuel your your declarations that you give give to other people. It might be that other people looking at you and go, wow, you have such a confidence for this. It's a gift of faith. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. All of us should have a measure of faith because we're Christians. A supernatural impartation of faith is something that's far beyond the growth that you've already attained as a Christian. There's healing that Paul talks about here. It's supernatural healing that could be physical, it could be emotional, or it could be spiritual. 
We believe in doctors. We believe in counseling. We believe in medication. We believe in all of that. And if there is a diagnosed condition that you have, then we say continue to trust those doctors and continue to trust those counselors because God can work through them. And while he's working through them, we're going to be praying that the greatest physician, who's Christ, is also going to bring a touch to your life that is supernatural and otherworldly. Now, the reason why miracles is added here at the end, which is the ninth gift of this list that I'm giving to you, is that God can work in supernatural ways beyond these. It could be supernatural intervention when it comes to nature and natural things. It could be a a, a situation and a circumstance where God does something that's absolutely miraculous that doesn't fall into the category necessarily of healing. Many of the miracles that you see Jesus working, like when he walked on water or where he turned water into wine. These are, these are supernatural, miraculous moments, and God wants to use us in just the same way. See, I believe that God wants us to have a strange expectation, that as Christians, that we should have an expectation that we are candidates to be the, what does it say here? Let's read it. Seven He gives to each of us so that we can help each other. He wants you to be used by him to help other people. And he wants you to carry forward in your life with an expectation that it's going to be you. Not that it might be you, right? It's going to be you. Awaken an appetite inside of yourself. God, I want you to use me in such a way. All right, let's do, with the rest of the time, I think we're going to be able to make it through. I want to talk about a strange reliance. So we've talked about a strange voice. We've talked about a strange expectation. Now I want to talk about a strange reliance, a strange reliance. Now this is where Paul shifts into the next category. He's moved out of these, this, this listing of manifest, manifestational gifts, and now he goes into something called variety of ministries. He attaches this to the concept of a body, and he uses the the metaphor of a physical body as a representation of the body of Christ or the family of God. All ministry begins by learning how to serve one another as part of the same body. It's interesting, isn't it? There's a theme in 1 Corinthians 12. It's about serving people. It's not about glory. It's not about your name being known. It's not about popularity. It's not about offices and titles. It's about serving people. The manifestational gifts are about serving people. These right here, these ministries, it's about serving people. What I'm going to blog about this week, this this idea of activities, which is about the authority structure that's supposed to be in the church. If an authority structure is healthy, you know what it's about? It's about serving people. So let's read verses 12 through 17. 12 through 17. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles. Gentile is a word that means everybody in the world that's not Jewish. Some are slaves, some are free. We have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, Would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? And you would look really weird to do, right? And if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? The phrase, the body of Christ, appears 23 times in the New Testament. And it almost always means one of two things. Either the church everywhere or the church somewhere. 
And what I would say as I study the life of Paul, and I trust that you would find the same thing, is that when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, you become a part of the church everywhere. You become a part of the Christian community around the world. And when you become a part of the Christian community around the world, he now expects you to go find a church somewhere, now that you're part of the church that is everywhere, because that's the only way that you're going to be able to do what he's talking about right here, is by using your life to serve and care for other people. Paul is saying here that there must be differences. If there is not diversity, then it's not the body of Christ that Christ intended to have. No one has an excuse to say that they don't belong anywhere. And usually that's because they're looking for a place that looks like them, instead of being open to God wanting them to add the difference. When you read in here, Paul is saying, you're supposed to be different. That's how you serve each other. If it's a room full of eyes and you say, I can see that, everybody else says, yes, so can we, we're eyes, hello. I don't need your help with that. But he made you unique, your ethnicity. Your life experience, your victories, your pains, the giftings of your life, your natural abilities, areas of your character that you've conquered and some that you haven't. Right? We can just keep making this list of how we're different from one another. And Paul says that's what the church somewhere is supposed to look like. Because you were supposed to serve other people in ways that they can't serve themselves because of the unique makeup of who they are. And guess what you have? You have needs because you cannot meet all of your needs by yourself because that's how unique you are. And so you need other people that you begin to build trusting relationships with. And they begin to help meet needs in your life that you can't meet on your own. And then we're not just here to serve one another. We're here to serve a community. Community. And as we go out into that community, guess what's out there? Lots of needs. And guess what you are? Inadequate by yourself. But you're complete when you allow your life to be joined together with others. And then we can go out in the world together and be Christ. Jesus did not need anybody to be joined to him because he was perfect unto himself. But you carry a part of who Christ is. I carry a part of who Christ is. And when we allow our lives to be joined together, we come the completeness of Christ in the world that God has called us to serve and minister to. A church should not just look for people that look like them either. You shouldn't be looking for a church that's exactly like you. And guess what churches should not be doing? We shouldn't just be looking for the people that look like us either. It's a healthy church when people are coming in with an appetite for diversity and the church is looking for people that are equally diverse. You've got to be willing to add the difference. Now, I'm not saying that that means that you're supposed to be a part of the City Life Church, although I would like to be able to say that. But you hear us say all the time, and we mean it with great sincerity. If we're not what you're looking for, don't just leave frustrated. Call us. Let us know. I'll give you a list of churches in this area that we trust and know and celebrate. Because guess what? This is not just true for churches. It's true for all the churches in a city. There's lots of different kinds of churches to reach lots of different kinds of people.
And so if we're not what you're looking for, then you might not be the difference that you're supposed to add here. Maybe you're supposed to be the difference that you're supposed to add somewhere else. But I guarantee you this, you're supposed to add the difference somewhere. There is a church community and a church family. If the 757 is the place that you call home, that you were supposed to be there to add something that's missing. And they're going to add something to you that you lack. All right, 1827. I could keep talking about that for the rest of the night. Come on, 1827. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and the least important are actually the most necessary. Come on. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care be given to those parts that have less dignity. Come on, the Bible is rich. This makes for harmony among the members. I read that again. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, then all the parts are glad. Mutual dependency is hard for us in our humanity because for all of us, we struggle with a measure of pride and arrogance. Some of us more than others, and I include myself on that list. It's not easy to say we have need, right? It's not easy, sometimes especially for men. It's hard for us to admit and acknowledge our inadequacy. Some of you are saying, I'm not really going on the men's retreat because I don't really have any needs in my life. Well, if you just had that thought or if you had it before, can I just say, that's why you need to be there. There should be something inside of us. I'm not talking about a crippling insecurity. I'm talking about an openness in our heart where we're willing to confess the inadequacy of our life Because God made us that way, so we're motivated to embrace the principle of mutual dependency. We are desperately in need of one another. The most gifted person in this room, the most talented person in this room, the the, the, the most intellectual person in this room, the most emotionally stable person in this room, right? We can keep going on that list. And if we're honest, we know that person, if you've been around City Life Church, that person really doesn't even go to church here. I don't know where they go because all of us are messed up. There has to be something inside of us that looks around a room like this and where we get a little bit of emotional because we say, God, thank you for bringing these people into my life because I need them. I need them. I need them to complete me. And then all of a sudden, you start to get excited because you begin to realize, even if you're the most broken person in this room, even if you're the most uneducated person in this room, even if you're the most wounded person in this room, even if you've got the most baggage of anyone else in this room, guess what? God's still going to use you 
just as you are to complete other people in this room. Because even if you're that messed up, if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, then the spirit of the living God is inside of you. Inside of you. And even if you are not yet ready to really meet a need in a natural sense because your character is, is, is still that broken, God can use you in a supernatural sense because the Holy Spirit is in you. You might be that candidate that brings a word of wisdom to somebody. Maybe you're going to get on the Saturday Life team, the people with the blue shirts, and you're a little bit open and honest with some of those people about how wrecked your life is. And then all of a sudden they're in that circle prayer time before service and somebody shares something and all of a sudden, right, you begin to say something that you feel like God reveals to you and the people that know you are like, whoa, right? You're a candidate. And God wants to use you. He wants us to have an expectation. But we can never walk in the expectation for the supernatural in a place of isolation. You see, because 1 Corinthians 12 is part of a chapter. And they're all interwoven to one another. See, because what Paul is saying is, have an expectation to be used for the supernatural. And what makes it safe is that you're part of a community that is defined by mutual dependence. And even though we're not going to get to it today, is what makes that safe is that there's an authority structure that's in there to make sure that all the rules are being followed. The most important of which is that we're to serve one another. Let me share this thought with you as we're coming down the home stretch. Before a person can be a leader at City Life, they first need to be relationally connected with the church. They need to use their life to serve others. They need to demonstrate that they can consistently honor others, especially people who are presently leading. They need to exemplify the 24 virtues. We did a whole series this summer on our discipleship model that culminates into this list of 24 virtues. And that their leadership ability is making room for itself, that it has a self-evidencing quality about it. All right, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and I'm going to close with a story that I'm going to share and then we're going to worship together. All right, I'm going to need this piece of paper so I'm going to keep it before they take my table. So, it's at the house today. I was getting ready to get ready and Vanessa comes in and says, hey, the, the, uh, the message on the expedition, there's a, I keep saying there's a door ajar, right? And, uh, and I was like, well, that means, you know, right? Because being the patient, sensitive husband I am, it means one of the doors is enclosed all the way. And she's like, I know what it means. I checked every door, right? So me, being the caring, sensitive, patient husband that I am, I'm thinking, it's going to take me like 10 seconds. I'm going to find the door. And then I get to come back in and say, right, which door it was, because we all like to say, I told you so, right? I'm not any different than you. Come on. Just have a different job than you do in the church. So I go out there, right, and I'm working my way all the way around the doors. Guess what? Every door's closed. So I'm thinking maybe it's the window, right, the, the, that will pop up on the hatch. And so I, I close that, and, and they get back in, and sure enough, door ajar, right? I'm like, there's no door ajar. Every door, every door is closed. So co- come to find out, right? So I knew there was a sensor somewhere that was, that was broken. So on our particular car, there's how the sensor works is that it's like the tip of a ballpoint pen, right? You've used a ballpoint pen before where you have to push the, the uh, thing on the top to make the pen come out, the, the writing end come out. Well, there's something 
like that in every one of our doors. And that might be the same kind of sensor that you have. So that when the, the latch is closed on the door, it causes the tip of the sensor, which is just this little button that pushes in and out to pop out. And when that's popped out, it sends a signal to the rest of the car that the dome light can turn off, right? The door ajar signal can stop, that it's safe for everyone to move forward. But if that sensor goes bad, what happens is, is this little button gets pushed in and that even when the door closed, the button doesn't pop out, right? And so the car thinks there's a door open somewhere, but there's not a door open anywhere. But the car doesn't know that because it's dependent on this sensor and that's the only thing that it knows until that gets fixed. Now why am I telling you that? Because our lives are filled with these little sensors. They're called biases. They're called prejudices. They're called past hurts. They're, they're, they're called assumptions that we make about people and situations and circumstances. And so you and I in the world, guess what we are? We're a 2003 Ford Expedition with sensors that are stuck and we're convinced that we're right when we couldn't be more wrong. And you know what keeps us safe is a room just like this who can come along beside us, who love us and care for us because we believe in this idea of mutual dependency. We believe in this idea of serving one another and we can put our arm around somebody that we've invested in a relationship with and say, you know what? I don't think you're seeing this right. And you can be absolutely convinced that the rest of the world is wrong, but guess who? The one that's not seeing it right. It's so often it's us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life without these kinds of relationships where people care for me enough. Because guess what? Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's me getting a call from one of the elders after a meeting and saying, Fred, I don't think you're seeing this right. And I'm like, of course I'm seeing it right. But I'm not. And people love me enough to be patient with me, to help me see. Have you ever been in one of those conversations? And then all of a sudden, right, you you begin to see it for what it is and you're just mad at yourself. You're frustrated. How could I have been that wrong? Well, I got good news for you. There's people around you that are willing to speak into your life. And I got bad news for you is that you're gonna be wrong a lot more for the rest of your life. And you're gonna need those people until you take your last breath. You're gonna need relationships that Paul calls the body of Christ, which is the church somewhere. And if you don't have a church that you call home, find one, find one, because you're gonna add something that's missing and they're gonna add something to you. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment of worship, I can't help but believe that there's some people here tonight that maybe they're with, they've got a stuck sensor. Maybe it's about an attitude or an opinion about what's happening in our world. Maybe it's about a situation and a circumstance in their marriage. Maybe it's a conflict with one of their teenage children, or maybe it's a teenager that's having a conflict with their teacher. Father, I pray that tonight, that whoever that person is, that they're gonna let some people in they're going to be willing to listen. And that, God, you're going to use and speak through the community of the family that we love and cherish so that we can see it the way that you see it 
so we can be used by you to make a difference in that place. In Christ's name, come on, let's worship together.